When I was in the sixth grade, I got sent to the principal's office. It was not a good day. Anytime we had a substitute teacher, me and the class would always get so excited because perhaps we knew that we could get away with just a little bit more. Perhaps we felt like we were just going to watch a movie or not have to work that hard. And I still remember the older substitute we had on that day. She wrote her name on the chalkboard with the most beautiful cursive writing I had ever seen. It looked like something you would find in a printed magazine. The name read Mrs. Glasgow. Now, Mrs. Glasgow had enough of the class's noise and was, and was losing control of the class. Students were not listening, they were yelling, they were not in their seats, and I was just sitting there with my shirt and tie on, reading my Bible like a good student. Okay, maybe that's not necessarily true, but I was in the midst of the chaos, talking along with everyone else, not being the best student. Finally, Mrs. Glasgow said something that got 99% of the class to sit down and be quiet. She said the next person to talk was going straight to the principal's office. Now, getting sent to the principal's office is bad news, but when you get sent to the principal's office by a substitute, it's even worse. The class came to a silence as if someone had turned down a knob to some really loud music. The next person to speak was yours truly. Someone had told a joke, and I blurted out after Mrs. Glasgow's warning. I said, now that's funny. To the joke, not to Miss Glasgow. Now, Miss Glasgow, as nice as she could be, was done playing games on that afternoon, and she pointed her finger at me and said, you, to the principal's office now. My heart sank as the class said, ooh. So I took the walk of shame for the first time in my life. It was not a good afternoon, but I chose to speak and to say something, and my words were met with a rebuke, weren't they? The same thing happens to Jesus in this story this morning. He chose to speak and to say something to the disciples, and his words were met with a rebuke from Peter. One day Jesus was with his disciples, and they were going to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and as they are journeying, he looks at the disciples and says, Who do people say that I am? They answered him by saying, John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Others say you're one of the prophets. And then Jesus gets more personal with them, and he basically says, yeah, that's good and all, but let me rephrase. Who do you say that I am? Well, you're the Messiah, Peter answered. Jesus then sternly orders them not to tell anyone about him. Of course, this is a common question we see as this scripture is familiar to many of you. It also gets at a personal level with us as well, doesn't it? Because other people may say this about Jesus and they may say that about Jesus, but who do you say that Jesus is? Is he the Messiah? Is he the anointed one? All of this takes place just before the scripture reading today. In this scripture, in this scripture Jesus is foretelling his death, and his resurrection. After Jesus ordered the disciples to not tell anyone about him, he began to teach them that the Son of Man, Jesus, must undergo great suffering, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. And further, Jesus says that the Son of Man will be killed, and after three days he will rise again. Jesus is saying this openly, and Peter, just after saying that Jesus was the Messiah, begins to get a little testy with Jesus. 
In fact, he pulls Jesus aside and, began, and begins to rebuke him. One moment, Peter is saying, you are the Messiah. And the next moment, he is rebuking the Messiah for what Jesus just said. And while this is happening, Jesus turns and he looks at the other disciples and he begins to rebuke Peter right back. And he says, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Now, let's be clear. When Jesus calls you Satan, that's not a good day. Peter was rebuked and called Satan by Jesus. Jesus looks at the disciples while saying this because perhaps they were right in line with Peter's thinking and maybe they needed a little rebuking too. Peter here was opposing something that Jesus was saying would happen. Perhaps Peter's trying to get Jesus to do something else. And him doing that, maybe that mirrors when Satan was trying to get Jesus to do something else when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted. Perhaps Peter is thinking of other plans for Jesus, like overthrowing Rome with the power and conquest that he wants to have. And now he doesn't like thinking about Jesus being rejected and going through great suffering. But this is what Jesus was going to embrace, and he knew it. God's plans are higher than our worldly plans. In Mark's gospel, Jesus predicts his death three times. Once in chapter 8, once in chapter 9, and once in chapter 10. And from this point on in the gospel, Jesus' suffering mission becomes a big focus. Now, what's interesting is that each time Jesus predicts his death, the disciples respond with pride and misunderstanding. The first time Jesus predicts his death, Peter rebukes Jesus. The second time Jesus predicts his death, the disciples debate over who is the greatest. And the third time Jesus predicts his death, the disciples talk about the chief seats in the kingdom. Jesus responds to the disciples by talking about servanthood and cross-bearing discipleship. He tells the disciples to take up their cross. He tells them that the first shall be last. He tells them about servant leadership. But in today's scripture, we focus on Jesus telling the disciples to take up their cross. In fact, he called the crowd with the disciples after he rebuked Peter, and he said the following to them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Further, he said, those who want to save their lives will lose it, and those who lose their life for, the, for his sake will save it. What will you profit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? So today, let us be reminded of that two-pronged statement that Jesus makes about being a disciple. If we want to follow Jesus, then according to Jesus... We have two things that we need to do. The first is this. As disciples, we must deny ourselves. By denying ourselves, Jesus isn't necessarily talking about resisting specific material things. He means the renouncing of self. Ceasing to make self the center of one's life. In other words, God must be at the center of our lives, not us. Are we living for ourselves or are we living for God? Since God created us in God's own image, perhaps it makes sense that we deny ourselves and live our lives for God and the purposes that God has. We have all heard the phrase, it's not about me. We've heard that before. Perhaps this serves as a reminder when it comes to our discipleship that it's not all about us. It's about denying our own plans and our own self and following Jesus and his teachings. The second is this, as disciples, 
we must also take up our cross. It is the central point in most Christian sanctuaries. Sometimes they're polished up real nice with a golden color. Other times it may be a type of wood that's shiny and grabs our attention, or it might be an old rugged type of wood. It is also sometimes included within the beauty of a stained glass window. You'll find it on the top of many steeples. No matter your denomination, whether you're Protestant or Roman Catholic, you will find it just about in every church. The cross. You will find the symbol for which Jesus completes love's redeeming work. The New Testament points us to the cross as a defining, the defining center of Jesus' redeeming work. Without the cross and later resurrection, death is not defeated. The cross points us to just how much God loves us. Jesus is speaking with anyone who will listen. Anyone who wishes to follow Jesus, wants to be Jesus' disciple, must deny themselves and take up their cross. Potential followers of Jesus must be ready to suffer as Jesus will suffer, losing their lives in order to gain them. According to uh, Joette Basser, these sorts of teachings had immediate relevance for Mark's community, which was probably a persecuted community. The message was clear for them. The way to salvation is through faithful endurance and persecution, not the avoidance of it. The cross was a form of torture and execution. It was something that you didn't talk about in polite company in the first century. Romans would use it as a fear tactic in order to warn others not to go against them. Jesus was one of many people who were crucified, yet Jesus is the only one to be resurrected. And in these 40 days of Lent, we often take time to think about the cross and how Jesus laid down his life for us on the cross. But we seldom think about our own cross and being willing to take up our cross in order to follow Jesus. I think part of taking up our cross means to daily look for opportunities to show sacrificial love to other people. It's practicing acts of justice for the sake of others and showing compassion to the least of these in our world. It's doing these things even in the face of hatred, evil, pushback, and even persecution. We are called not to take up Jesus' cross, but we are called to take up our own cross. It is to deny ourselves and live out God's will for our lives regardless of the outcomes that come from this world. So for the rest of this Lent, Gaze upon the cross. There's one in our sanctuary above the screen. There's one behind the pulpit. There's two on the doors as you leave the sanctuary. There's a giant cross above the double doors as you leave the building. Gaze upon the cross and think about what Jesus did for us on that cross, but also remember at the same time to deny yourself and to take up your own cross daily. This week I was saddened to learn of the passing of Reverend Junius Dotson, who worked for our denomination, the United Methodist Church, and was the general secretary for our discipleship ministries. I believe he was only 55 years of age. He announced in January that he had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and just a month later he, he has died. He spoke at one of our annual meetings that we have every year, uh, where church people in our church and churches all over Delaware and Eastern Shore, Maryland, and pastors in those churches gather called Annual Conference. He spoke at our annual conference just a few years ago. He was a man committed to discipleship and helping people and churches find ways to create a discipleship pathway in the life of the church for people to follow. 
He wrote books that helped many people. I just couldn't believe that he was gone that quick after his diagnosis. As I was preparing for this sermon and thinking about who those who deny themselves take up their cross and follow Jesus, I thought about Junius, a man who has dedicated, uh, dedicated his work and his life to discipleship and helping churches find ways to follow Jesus each and every day. Brothers and sisters, life is short and we are not guaranteed tomorrow. Live for Jesus today. Regardless of pushback, regardless of what may come your way, live for Jesus and show his love for all people to see. One of Discipleship Ministries' taglines um, the last couple of years was this, see all the people. I love that. No matter their age, their race, their nation, it's time for us to see all the people and to show God's love to all the people. May the Lord open our eyes to see all the people and be reminded to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Amen.